Welcome to Ex Libris On Air and the stories behind the stories of today's literature and their authors. A presentation of Ex Libris Publishing, host Steve Jorgensen connects with a writer to share the vision and inspiration behind their works. Insightful, informative, and always entertaining, please welcome host Steve Jorgensen and this week's edition of Ex Libris On Air. Greetings for Ex Libris On Air. This is J. Douglas Barker. The title of the book is The Sultan of Monte Cristo, the first sequel to The Count of Monte Cristo. And our author, whose pen name is Mysterious, Holy Ghost Writer. Welcome, sir, to the program. Thank you. You've done a mysterious name on your penmanship or the pen, penning of this, uh, this, this work. Uh, I understand there's a contest related to this as well. Yes, my identity is disguised under the synonymous moniker Holy Ghost Rider along the lines of Bat- Robin saying to Batman, Holy Ghost Rider, Batman, but am I really the Holy <laughs> Ghost Rider? Or is it a woman? Oh. Am I an imposter pretending to be the Holy Ghost Rider? Or you may have one of those uh, voice changer things going on. I could. You could. I could. Yeah. Now, you've had a, a long-going, passionate affection for the account of Monte Cristo. Uh, why did you decide to, to release this in small bits and pieces? This is only 84 pages, and yet there's more to the story than just that, isn't there? Yes. The series goes on all the way to Chapter 12 so far, being released uh, out of sequence, and it'll be when it's done. It's it'll be thousands of pages. So far, it's over a thousand pages. Uh, this is just the first the first installment. And why Monte Cristo? What was the curious uh, reason that you've chosen that subject? When I came to the last words, uh, "Wait and hope," in the Count of Monte Cristo by Alexander Dumas, I couldn't I couldn't let it go. I had to uh, continue the story, and it seems like the story wrote itself. It was it was an amazing experience, and it was like an adventure. And you've just taken the the basic topic of Monte Cristo and adapted it to your interpretation. No, what I did is I just continued where it left off. They were they were set off to see uh, Dante's and uh, Mercedes, not Mercedes, uh, uh, Hades, 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 Hades. Okay, Hades, uh, Hades had just set off on the sailboat with Dante's, and that's where the the story continues in the Sultan of Monte Cristo. As an adventure book, is this an escape adventure for our readers, or how would you describe it? It is definitely an escape into the past. I mean, you could time travel back to the 1800s and, and feel like you're there if you use your imagination as you read uh, and you uh, find yourself side-by-side uh, side with the uh, action going on and the mystery and the suspense. What's the the uh, perfect reader in your mind? If you were to, to describe the uh, individual that would enjoy your book, who would that be? Anyone with an open mind that enjoys uh, reading books, novels. Is there a lot of action in your adaptation of the Monte Cristo? There's not a tremendous amount of action, but there's a lot of adventure, and there's a lot of uh, mystery, and there's a lot of uh, uh, surprises. Yeah, you've included some secret society uh, mentions some ideas and concepts. Uh, do you think they they really exist in in our lifetime? Oh, there's no doubt that secret societies exist even to the, this day, and they have for centuries. 
as you began writing this, what was the process? Did you set uh, set out to to write an adventure with uh, an outline of characters and uh, plot development? What was the creative thinking behind it? It was the strangest experience. It was like the the story wrote itself. It was it was an amazing ex- adventure. It was writing the book was as much an adventure or more than an adventure than than reading the book. How long did it take to finish the first segment? Well, it didn't take that long to write, but it took uh, several months to get around to publishing it. It was like uh, it was it was like a work in progress, and then I started on book six. And uh, as I was writing book six, I didn't even know that it would be part of the uh, the continuation of, of book two. But after I I got through it, I realized that this was all part of the same story in, in modern, bringing the story into modern times so that with the dis- descendants of Monte Cristo. And does your book include some strong female leads or characters? Is this a book that's going to appeal mostly to guys, or the lady who reads your book going to be also enticed to continue reading further? I think the uh, feminine crowd w- will enjoy this more than anyone because the w- all the women in, in these stories are very strong women. Uh, and men can enjoy it, too, because of the adventure aspects of the stories. If you were to describe this to someone in a couple of sentences, how would you introduce this particular first in the series, The Sultan of Monte Cristo? A continuation of The Count of Monte Cristo, uh, taking taking you places that uh, Dumas probably never imagined himself taking the story. And which of the activities in your book or maybe scenes, do you think, is the most exciting that's going to grab the listener and, the, and grab the uh, the reader as well? I think the, towards the end of the, the story where a new character named Ramey is introduced, the uh, it, it, there's some chilling, exciting uh, parts of the story that I think will uh, blow the mind of most people that, uh, that venture in to read that part of the story. Now, have you always wanted to be a writer? Maybe you have uh, authored other books under a different name. Is that something that you've done, or is this uh, this a new adventure for you? Actually, I have uh, written and published books before these, and um, actually, the, uh, one of, part of the story makes uh, Dante's a descendant of uh, Mary Magdalene, and that was something that I had done long before Dan Brown came out with uh, Da Vinci Code, and hmm. that, that never got off the ground, but it was I had the idea long before I, be, I believe long before he did many years before he did So becoming an author or being a published author has been a long time pursuit Yes, it has If you were to r- receive a Pulitzer Prize, maybe you already have you haven't really d- revealed your, your true identity If you were to receive a Pulitzer Prize, uh, is there any other goal that you are pursuing besides this particular series that you're involved with right now? Yes, I, I have other things, but I can't discuss those. Oh, boy. I was hoping to win whatever the prize is that you've got offered in your book and this uh, this adventure. Uh, do you have a specific location that you write your stories? I have some authors that sit at Starbucks and, uh, you know, I guess somehow get inspired by drinking a latte. Others work from a specific environment. How is your book uh, created? I have to have total quiet time, uh, lock myself somewhere where I don't have any interruptions to uh, to escape into the worlds that I'm writing about because 
I have to let my imagination take me there. And uh, with if I get distractions from you know significant others, children, noises, I, I, it's very difficult for me to write. That's my only difficulty is finding the the quiet time to really uh, get into writing. I have a spouse that is uh, very uh, adverse to any outside noise when she's concentrating on uh, recipes or reading or anything like that. So she needs her quiet space as well. A lot of a lot of writers are that way. Others can, you know, can write no matter what environment they're sitting in. Everyone is different. You've also mentioned, in addition to this first book in the series, you have jumped to book six and some other additions. How did that come about? Immediately after... Almost immediately after releasing, a couple months after releasing the Sultan of Monte Cristo, I released the sixth book called That Girl Started Her Own Country. <laughs> and the lead character in that, her name is Zadie, Z-A-Y-D-E-E. <clears throat> and, but uh, then I, I released book three, which is The uh, Sovereign Order of Monte Cristo. And uh, subsequently, I, I released the... Um, uh, the, a retelling of the Count of Monte Cristo by Sherlock Holmes. So I have I, I brought Sherlock Holmes into the picture, and he's he's part of book three, and he retells uh, book one and book and he tells book two in a special edition of the uh, Sovereign Order of Monte Cristo. And then most recently, I've released the uh, Anonymous Girl, where Zadie continues her adventures into uh, into book seven. If I, as a reader, pick up the Sultan of Monte Cristo, am I going to feel stranded at the end of the reader, or does it really tell uh, enough story or enough adventure that I'm going to be satisfied with that and then want to get it, book six, three, two, whatever is released? Well, one, one reviewer I noticed recently said that, they, that she or he felt that the same way as the end of the uh, Count of Monte Cristo, like she had to have more of the book. So I think uh, most people will want to continue on with uh, book three. At least I'm hoping they will. Fabulous. Well, it's a good way of uh, of getting our interest, talking about it in somewhat of a, an odd sequential approach. There must have been some challenges in getting this done. And uh, one of them, perhaps, uh, now out of all, are all of your books released as uh, Holy Ghost Writer, or are they under a different nom de plume? Well, the, uh, the series is, of course, all under Holy Ghost Writer, but I do have other books under various names and I but I can't mention those because of the contest too <laughs> which by the way the winner who finds the clues in these uh in this series as to my true identity wins a $5000 reward whoa our interviewers uh, you know I guess we're not we're not allowed to contribute to that that's that's a that's a nice reward thank you sir I, listeners get out there and buy a copy of the book and see if you can follow the trail and find out the true identity of our author the challenges, did we mention that, or are there, or have there been any challenges beyond what you've described in, in completing the series? Well, the challenges have been uh, just, you know, find, like I said, finding quiet time to uh, read and write. And, and I find one of the secrets to my ability to write is to read a lot. When I can't read a lot, I can't write a lot. It seems like reading <clears throat> a lot uh, generates uh, uh, enthusiasm to write a lot, so... Unfortunately, I have uh, a young child and keeps a lot of my uh, keeps me busy a lot of the time. That sounds like a clue. 
A young child. Yes. Hmm. yes, it is a clue. A clue. All right. It's been uh, fun visiting with you. The title of this book in the series, The Sultan of Monte Cristo, the first sequel to The Count of Monte Cristo, and our author, in disguise, Holy Ghost Writer. Sir, where do we get copies of your book? Or, madam, I'm not sure. You may be disguising your voice. You can find them on Amazon. You can find them on Barnes & Noble. Just Google uh, Holy Ghost Writer, and you'll, it'll come right up there, the, the, all the books that have been published under my name. Is there a website also associated with this series? Uh, there's um, thatgirlstarterowncountry.com. There's com. There's mysteriousauthor.com. I think we have uh, at least one or two clues that we can adapt. And listeners, get out and buy the book. Let's see who can win the $5,000 prize. That's, uh, that's enticing on its own. Good story, short read, 84 pages. HGW, thank you for joining me today. My pleasure, Jay. Take care. Have a wonderful day. Pleasure. For Ex Libris On Air, this is Jay Douglas Barker. Ex Libris returns after these short messages. Hi everybody, this is Pete Six of Beatles and Beyond. Why don't we all come together and hear some of the tracks off the latest Beatles release on this radio station. Why don't you look up the schedules on this radio station and join me and Beatles listeners everywhere to hear the latest releases from the Beatles on Beatles and Beyond with Pete Dix. Welcome back to Ex Libris with your host, Steve Jorgensen. This is Ex Libris On Air. My name is Brian Houston, and we are talking today about a book entitled The Adventures of the Sunflower Twins, Finding the Waterfall Pond. And with us right now on the phone from his home in California is Ozzy Mora, the author of the book uh, about the Waterfall Twins and Finding the Waterfall Pond. Uh, Ozzy, how are you? Oh, good, good. Uh, thank you for calling and having me on this interview today. Great to thank hear. You so much. Thank you very much for being with us. And uh, first of all, let me ask you a little bit about your background. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, just um, I'm right here out of uh, um, Covina, California. I um, I'm a truck driver by trade, but I uh, I've made book stories for kids. My um, sisters are um, they teach um, uh, kindergarten and first grade, so I. Every day um, at the house, they used to tell me, hey, make a drawing. I draw and stuff. So for some reason, I made this little sunflower character, and my sister-in-law named Judy, she took it to school. And all the kids started tracing it. She made copies. I make, like I made this little coloring book, and um, just with the allies and the kids, you know, for she could entertain the, you know, the kids. So the principal came up to me and said, "Hey, um, Ozzy, um, that's a nice catch. Would you be interested in making a book for us for a uh, for a play or something?" 
So the thing was, I was like confused and I didn't know really what to do and how to write a book and all this and that. So basically, I just went with creating the book as I seen my um, sister-in-law's all the kids in the school. I went over for a couple of days. I created the book for uh, for kids because um, some kids are afraid of speaking out. Other kids are bullying other kids. So I just created the Sunflower Twins as for an example as so they could um, express their feelings with the characters. It's like a learning. It's uh, like physical. Um, what else is challenging? And it, um, it these Sunflower Twins are just about um, making the right choices in life as they grow on as to be bigger adults, you know. It's a it's a fiction book fiction. But what I'm trying to say is this is only the best way I could get the message across. And um with the Ozzy and uh Stella the the characters, um, the kids really like it. I am on my third book now. I just published um The Adventures of the Sunflower Twins, Stop the Bullying. I just got my first copy from the Glibris. I haven't um haven't got more copies. But right now we just got that one done and that one is getting the most feedback of all my other two books because of the booming that's going on in the schools. Sure, very, very hot topic right now. So, well, I'm, I'm fascinated by the idea of a truck driver uh, who becomes a, yeah. a children's book author. That is a, that's a terrific uh, uh, jump from one profession to the next. I mean, did you always draw and, and do these kinds of things? No, well, yeah, I've always... Um, I've been drawing, you know, sketching this and that, and uh, just drawing stuff. But what really got me interested was um, my sister-in-law. I went, I went to go sit down at the preschools, and she was reading one of the books out to the kids. And I see the, the kids really uh, their expression on their faces. They um, they look puzzled, and then when they like the pictures, and I, mean, I just I, I kind of got it, you know, a feeling for that. So now it's like I, I thought, oh, making a book and bringing it out would be good. But let me tell you, man, it's so hard out there. There's so much competition and stuff. Now with this other, with my third book coming out, um, they want me to start pitching it to Nick Juniors to try to go into animation now. That's really my next goal, and that to go on this. Plus, besides the, um, I have uh, ten stories on the Sunflower Twins already. You know, I've uh, I've written, I, I I've been writing on the. Um, you know my notepad, and I have a couple of stories, but I've been picking out the stories that I see more more interesting to the young, you know, the young kids. That's a, that's and incredible. The, the thing, the thing, what I notice is that um, now with this other new book I came out, I get, I'm getting the parents. The parents are really looking at the book and want to buy the book for their kids. So I'm really um. I, I, I'm new at this, but I know this is not going to be uh, uh, my last book or nothing. But I'm I'm really um, focusing on just making smart choices in life, and you know, like physical education, um, crossword puzzles, you know, just uh, adventures and stuff. That's great. I, I think it's a terrific move for you. Um, let me ask you how you came up with the idea of the sunflower twins. Well, the, well, <laughs> this was back in my. Uh, my backyard, my neighbor had a yard, nothing but weeds and real messy yard in our yard. You know, we always cut the grass and stuff. So one afternoon when we were out there with the kids, well, my sister-in-law, um, we were hanging around by the pool and everything. And I was sitting down and I seen these two sunflower plants overlooking the wall. And then that's when I got the sketch pen out and I started drawing. And I was sitting down, you're not paying attention. So the next day I left my drawings in you know, in the patio, and my uh, my granddaughter came out and started drawing them and making faces on the sunflowers. So that's where we got to, and then I go, hey, you mentioned those sunflower twins. So this all happens with my granddaughter. She was a first grader right now. She was in the third grade, and um, they still, no, Dad, um, don't stop this. They're still interested in me. That's great. Right now, I, uh, excuse me? I said, that's great. It's a great story. Yeah. Well, right now is... um. 
like I said, I just finished this other little book, and um, I already got um, this principal from my sister-in-law school wants me to donate like 12 copies. I got another uh, lady, uh, Miss Richter. She um, she's another a school teacher, and I'm gonna give her some books. The only thing is right now is that I'm just trying to get it out there mm-hmm. for. Um, for the public and stuff to see. And then to top it off, we went to a book signing in UCLA, California, and I made some costumes of the Sunflower Twins. I have them right now, and uh, we put, we had a booth. We gave away 75 books within 35 minutes. <laughs> well, that's, a, that's a great idea. The line, the line was all over, and we had other authors from the Glibberist still with packs of books on their table. Wow. Well, congratulations. Yeah, man, you obviously have uh, connected with the kids there. What is it you think about your characters in your book that uh, have uh, really attracted children so much? Well, for right now, the Ozzy and uh, Stella, that was the main attraction for little girls. And then the boy, the Ozzy, he's like the the messy one, the, you know, the goofball messing around and gets into trouble. And that relates a lot to the little boys, actually, you know, for, for whoever wants to, you know, take a pic. But I created these other characters called the evil weeds and these are the bad bunch right there so the bad bunch of the evil weeds they try to um just give a bad uh, a bad time for the sunflower twins as they go on their adventure during the book like you know uh during the story and i just create i created um willie the wiggly worm a professor because every book needs a, somebody that's smart in it like a scientist so when the, the the sunflower twins have a problem or something they go to willie wiggly worm and um they solve it but the, the key word is with the worms, the evil weeds can't find him because he hides out like in the trees or in an apple or something like that, away from the evil weeds. Uh, so he only comes out when the sunflower trains come out. I see. Well, that's brilliant. Uh, now, let me ask you about the waterfall pond. What is it about finding the waterfall pond? What's that about? Okay, the waterfall pond, I know it sounds kind of funny, waterfall pond, but that is their goal of their destination they wanted to the sunflower twins were in their, their dry patch of weeds and everything so they wanted to they seen this little river coming down and but basically it was following the river like the little stream but besides the, the stream they had their obstacle courses running into the uh um, the, sun, the evil weeds and then they found um, some board with scribbled letters on there and then when they went to the wiggly 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 worm the professor he unsolved the, the mystery and they said 10 more uh, 10 more steps to the waterfall pond so that's when they go and go have fun and get wet in the pool and stuff but from the from the lake it's a waterfall so that's it's like two things in one which um i created that as a story but when um how could i say when they uh when i wrote when the book came out that's when we put the pieces together as a waterfall pond it was supposed to be a cliff on the water and then when everything came about it it just made his own path. It, uh, it went to the, his own title called the Waterfall Pond. It's really hard to explain, but uh, <laughs> it just, um, I, I really do it for the kids as their point of view and their expression when I uh, show them the book. And I really get fond of it. Uh, hopefully it takes off from here on, but um, I'm just trying, you know, every day. I'm just trying to do something new and creative with this uh, Sunflower Twins. Uh, that's great. Now, uh, how much, how long did it take you to write one book? And, that's pretty much the easy part. I just have to have um, like a pitch line that, that I go by or a topic, and then I just um, usually I uh, I write a couple paragraphs here and there, and then it, it takes like almost a, a month or three weeks, like give or take like that. But it just comes to you. Yeah, pretty much, pretty much. So it just all out. Um, it was very hard for me to get the, a book company to do this book because it gets kind of expensive, and um, I really don't have the money to go for that point on, but. Uh, 
I've been told that I have a good um, a good chance on pitching this to animation companies. So that's gonna pretty much be our next step for 2015. So you try we to make to, try to make it into like a cartoon or a, a, yeah. a, a small movie, a short movie, or something like that. Yeah, that's what I, I like. I like to do educational um, concepts on like a thirty uh, half hour, um, yeah. thirty minute show on a PBS channel, PBS, a cable channel. Anybody who will give me the chance and the opportunity to um, put my work out there. But I, as we can see, um, I've been um, I've been growing a little bit in this project. That now I'm, I'm trying to learn how to write more for the parents as to educate their kids. So now before all the kids like, yeah, but the thing now I'm seeing the parents are getting interested uh-huh. and purchasing the book for the for their son or daughter. That's outstanding. That's, that's a, No, that's, no, go ahead, sir. No, I said that's outstanding. I just think that's a, a great story. Uh, obviously, you uh, have a lot of uh, a lot of care for your kids. Uh, and what is it that you want when you when a child finishes reading your book? What is it you want that child to come away knowing? Well, just basically, you know, um, to choose uh, good choices in life from right from wrong, to be a little bit more, you know, to educate themselves and not to be scared of uh, bullying people, bullying you, or to speak out. Just just to, um, you know, basically, you know, just, just to have a good time and a good read, and then to be looking forward for the next, you know, book um, should be coming out again. I, um, I wrote 10 stories. Ten books already, and I just published three, so we still got seven more to go. That's great. Now, uh, are are you still driving? Excuse me. Are you still driving? Yes, that's what I do every day. I I work. Uh, uh, funny to say, but I work at uh, start at three 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 thirty in the morning, and I'm off by two o'clock in the afternoon. Wow. I kind of I kind of do the swing shift. <laughs> and then you uh, then you work on your books in the afternoon and lady and in the evening. In the evening at the house, when the, my sisters and my. Uh, Daughters come with the kids and they throw them at me in the backyard. So <laughs> I get her. <laughs> oh, that's no, great. good. That's good. But you know that's the way it is. I'm a grandpa already, 44 years old, and I just I found a new feeling for you know just drawing my characters. Now I just want to just uh, just break in there, you know, with all the competition and everything. But like I said, um, the lady said uh, told me that man, I haven't had nobody come with this kind of a. Uh, idea and characters in a long time. I hope I hope you're the next one. And I go, I hope so too. Here's another one. We had a glibberous um consultant write an article on us. I don't know if you guys got it, but um on the top of the article it says is Stella and Ozzy the next Boots and Dora? Oh man. That would be great, man. wouldn't it? That's yes. <laughs> <laughs> Did you ever imagine that uh, when you started doing this that it might uh, have that kind of potential? No, no, I only did it. I, I'm a child of the truth right here. I only did it to keep the kids, my um, uh, my grand, my granddaughter, and everybody busy. Come on, you guys, start drawing. Here, draw this, and I'll line a picture, and then they'll start drawing and color it in. I never thought it'll get uh, you know kind of this far. That's great. Now tell us where we can get the book. Okay, right now, um, right now we're under Equilibrious. Mm-hmm. Uh, you guys go on equilibrious.com or whatever their website is at, and then we're in under uh, Amazon and a couple, um, two more um, spots that they're, um, it's on the internet to them. Um, uh, here's another one. If you guys can call me and give me an address, I got 10 free books. <laughs> okay. You guys could uh, give me a call and I can mail you some books. And I got some pictures with autograph signing by Ozzy and Stella, the live costumes that we made at the US, uh, we made for the USC uh, book signing. Well, tell people how they can uh, call you then if you want to give out a phone number. That's up to you. Yeah, that's fine. I just want to get this out there all over the world. Uh, okay, here it is. My name is uh, Ozzy Mora. My number is 
1626-536-2620. And just give me a call. And if I don't answer, it'll be on my voicemail and I'll, I'll get back as soon as possible. And I got all, um, three books right now. The first one is, um, it's an introduction of the Sunflower Twins and it's called The Adventures of the Sunflower Twins, The Magical Garden. The second one is Finding the Waterfall Pond. And the new one we just pulled out on 527-2014 uh, last month. This is the one that's really giving a lot of feedback. Um, this is the one, um, The Adventures of the Sunflower Twins, Stop the Bullying. Great stuff. And, uh, Ozzy, great story. Uh, congratulations on uh, what you're doing. I know it's got to be pretty uh, pretty fun to see this thing going the way it's going, and we wish you the best of luck as you uh, move on into your authorship career. Oh, man, thank you so much. I uh, <laughs> I uh, just um, i am so humbled and thankful for everybody. Uh, just, I just want to get this thing out there, and um, hopefully um, with everybody just buying a book and checking it out, hopefully we'll go into animation by next year and just uh and, and keep on you know just keep on doing what we're doing outstanding again the name of the book is the adventures of the sunflower twins finding the waterfall pond it's by ex libris and uh ozzy mora is the author ozzy thank you so much for talking with us today we really appreciate it oh you have you, you got it thank you so much for even having me thank you very much for being here i'm brian houston this is ex libris on air Ex Libris returns after these short messages. Join us for Self-Aid Success Stories with Helen Wu. Wednesday nights at 10, 9 central on toginet.com. Helen Wu was born and raised in San Francisco's Chinatown. And after a very difficult upbringing, fighting depression, abuse, and addictions, she finally finds herself genuinely happy inside and out. Helen believes in taking our positive thinking and doing something positive to achieve a positive outcome. She's here to make a positive difference in your life, to be your game changer, your aha moment mentor. She's ready to help both men and women get into a better place. Helen Wu is also the author of Self-Aid Success Stories, 25 Success Stories from Successful Entrepreneurs. Inspired by Ellen DeGeneres, Helen wants the world to know that just because we find ourselves in a difficult situation doesn't mean we have to stay there. We can aid ourselves to a better life. So join us for Self-Aid Success Stories with Helen Wu. Wednesday nights at 10, 9 central on toginet.com. Welcome back to Ex Libris with your host, Steve Jorgensen. The title of the book, Controlled Women and Constipated Men. And the author is Terrence Christopher Teasdale, and Dr. Teasdale joins us now on Ex Libris On Air. Hello, Terrence. Hello, Steve. Lovely to be with you, even though the tyranny of distance separates us. As uh, you said earlier, it's as though I'm talking to you face-to-face. Yes, and for everyone, uh, Terrence is in Bangkok, Thailand, and I'm here in Texas. So it is a marvel of technology that we meet to talk about... Controlled Women and Constipated Men. This is not a feel-good book, everyone. I think the uh, obviously the title lends itself that you already probably know that. And this book will not enrapture most women. Uh, you just claim that women, a lot of women, are psychologically disturbed. And uh, you even say most women. And so they've had a very controlling effect upon 
family and society. And so we're going to talk about all of this, but why the book, why the title, and how did it come about, Dr. Dr. Teasdale? Well, it's very interesting. Um, first, I suppose that one ought to define what I mean by controlled women. I, I mean that uh, controlled women, as I call them, suffer from what I call a cluster of psychological infirmities and negative emotions. Now, if you draw all of those together, they tend to control women and constrain women, and they suffer as a direct consequence of this what I call a self-disorder. And that leads to self-damage, but just as importantly, and it might be argued by many others, that they also invade other people as well. Uh, as a direct consequence of all this, I find that controlled women generally mistreat uh, just about everyone they come into intimate contact with, and that means their husbands, they mistreat their husbands, they mistreat their children, but specifically their daughters, and they mistreat ever increasingly their work co male work colleagues especially, and that's Queen Bee's other women, uh, in pursuing their own drives and own often misguided drives within the work environment. So you're saying that controlled women are demoralized, they have all these negative emotions, and they transfer those negative emotions upon everyone around them, and it's, it's a psychological problem. Absolutely right, Steve. And the book is really, it refers to female gender tyranny. Uh, I see that in my practice, and I deal with thousands and thousands of women, and I have been doing for over 30 years on five continents in 49 countries, I found that so many women are insecure and they try to be super this, super that. Uh, they're great protesters. Uh, they protest at what's going on inside them. They protest about what's going on outside them. They're constantly angry, they're anxious, they're depressed. As I say, they mistreat others. And they live a life that harms so many different people. And I think that one of the first disablers is that they have never been attacked uh, to anybody. That because they came out of their mother's stomach. And their mothers, and two, were controlled women. And they didn't learn how to attach with their daughters. And so... This condition of what I call control of women, Steve, is passed on from generation to generation. How has the feminist movement accelerated all of this or impacted it all? Well, I think if you go back to the re-engineering of the feminist movement, they're not too clear about what they are doing. They sort of raised their ire in the mid-60s, quite some time ago, but I think it's utterly sensible that the feminists uh, in all their stages of re-engineering have ignored and swept under the carpet the truism that control women are the, actually the result of their own interior demon, demons and those of the transplanters, their mothers. Now, the feminists, and there's so many different styles of feminism, as we know, Steve, have ignored all this. They, they themselves are controlled women, and of course, one of the major characteristics of controlled women is to look outside of themselves to find reasons why they're like this. So there are great blamers. 
They've been blaming men for just about every problem on earth. But I haven't seen too many feminists actually internalize their thinking and say, well, hang on, perhaps I'm the problem. I haven't come across that in women's conversation at all. A lot of people might say you hate women. Uh, well, a lot of people might say I hate women. Of course, uh, the word hate, of course, is an old English word. Um, uh, and what it really means is basically to dislike with intensity other people. I think what we should do here, Steve, if they say that I hate women, they should learn to separate the person from the act. Uh, I have extreme dislike for what they are doing, control women are doing. Uh, in fact, what they're doing to our families, uh, to our children, to our husbands, is quite repugnant to me, and it makes me grimace, uh, even gag and shudder. It really, in many ways, sickens me. But they have this hostility, uh, which is quite hateful. But one can never hate women, for heaven's sake. Uh, that would be crazy. It's a thought that's um, and a generalization to me that's quite absurd. So if they say I hate women, it would be quite incorrect. If they were to say that I hate what they're doing, I think they're getting pretty close to it. You've mentioned the impact of the feminist movement, you know, making women believe they can be super this, super that. Uh, what about, uh, as you put it, the impact by frightened males and politicians? Who are they? Well, I think uh, we've got to go back a bit of a way. Since the, uh, the feminist move movement started with Germaine Greer in the mid-60s, uh, men were taken aback. Of course, you rightly used the word role earlier on, the role of women. Now, the role of women historically has to be endorsed. I'm not saying this is right or wrong. I'm simply saying this is an observation of fact. The women didn't work. They didn't have an income. They were economically as single, single people deprived of money. And they took on the role of looking after, caring for, nurturing their husbands and their children. That meant often that they stayed indoors made meals and so forth, looked after the house, and so on. But, of course, culture changes. We all know that. And we know that it was conceived, uh, it was believed that many women were being deprived of fulfillment, uh, personally and in terms of occupation. And so we haven't had very suddenly this change in our culture. And there was a movement to say we must now recognize that women can do much better, and indeed they could, and they much better. But what happened was that the men didn't answer back their questions. The men didn't question their questions. Uh, we men tended to be so taken aback and so frightened that we went into our shelves, we buried our heads in the sand. And as a direct consequence, the women's movement moved with such dynamic speed that Men didn't collect themselves, didn't collect their thinking. But what we also found, Steve, was that these women were making their way, rightfully so, in the work environment. And so we found that men and women were shoulder to shoulder, as it were, in the workplace. And men felt scared and frightened to say anything against women because, firstly, it wasn't a politically correct thing to do. It was perceived that but also it might impinge on 
their own uh, upward mobility in the work environment. And so men, we men just became quiet. Now in my practice over 30 years, I've seen thousands of women who have demonstrated and shown their psychological disorders being controlled by so many different things like the past, um, like lack of attachment, their neuroses, their emotional defenses, their narcissism, uh, they, the way they can fake dependency, their codependency, their fear-based emotions and so on. Now we put all those together and what I was seeing that these women were really being controlled in such a terrible way that they needed to be challenged. But of course, who was going to challenge them? Women are not to be challenged. And so what happened was that we got to the stage now where only now we're beginning to say, uh-oh, we've got to start saying something about this. And I decided uh, from the empirical research I did and from the experience I gained about women that I ought to sit down and say, this is in fact what is happening, and we shouldn't be afraid of saying so, and we should face women face to face and say, this is in fact what is happening. What about the impact of controlled women on their daughters? Oh, I think this is dreadful. Absolutely dreadful. Uh, I think that if you were to, if you were to ask a, a woman uh, a daughter, and I have on many occasions, I've listened daughters, what do they really think about their mothers? I'd have to say, Steve, they hate them. Now, you've used the word hate. They really dislike their mothers because the mothers absolutely take control of their lives. They tell them what to do, how to do, and when to do it. Um, they, they don't really have time to speak to them properly. They only speak to them when things are going wrong in their lives. Uh, they destroy their daughter's self-esteem. They destroy their daughter's uh, self-images. They inflict enormous amount of hurt. They're constantly saying dreadful things about their daughter. And Steve, you know, when I hear women and mothers say, but I love my daughter, my response is then, why do you hurt them so much? And they do. It's terrible. Uh, and what happens is the, the neurosis of these controlled women and the narcissism of these controlled women uh, are so powerful and constraining that they inflict all these negative emotions on their own daughters. Uh, they have a great capacity, mothers, to uh, sadist, uh, for, for sadistic acts of retaliation for threatening their children, for intimidating their children, for taking reprisals and from punishment, uh, in order to protect their, protect their own fragile selves. They have a great ability for revenge and for manipulation. Uh, they often dominate their children. Uh, they want to direct family members. They want to control family members. I mean, every husband who might be listening to your program I'm sure we'll be nodding and saying, yes, yes, yes. I believe that adolescent children, not so much the sons, because the sons escape their mothers, and mothers in any way don't understand sons, but it's the daughters who become the prisoners. Uh, it's, they're driven by power. They're sad people, the mothers. They're anxious people. What they do in effect, and this is the sadness, is they kill their own lives, 
and they kill their lives of their own daughters. They deny them happiness. And this is why families, in my opinion, are decomposing. And it's about time that women took responsibility, controlled women took responsibility for just exactly what they're doing. If you were to ask, and I've asked many men this, husbands, if you were to ask a husband, would you, if you were to go on a holiday, would you rather go with your wife or would you rather go with your husband, uh, with, uh, by yourself? And, you know, the truth can be quite damaging, Steve, can't it? Uh, the truth is that most men say they would love to escape their wives and to go by themselves. Now, one wonders why. Mm-hmm. Well, all of this is in your book, Controlled Women and Constipated Men, and also, of course, you're addressing what you just talked about, the impact of controlled women on their daughters in your sequel, which will is titled Controlled Mothers and Damaged Daughters. Is the sequel coming out soon? The sequel will be coming out soon. I've just finished uh, going through the, the, the internal gallery of it, and uh, that will be going back to the publishers perhaps in the next week, and then we'll get down to publishing it. Uh, but this, the, the, the book, uh, Control Women and um, Constipated Men, and by constipated men I mean emotionally constipated men, uh, for example, uh, if you ask a woman uh, who would you, who's your best friend, or if you would ask a man who's the best friend, uh, he probably would say his dog or his mother. But if you ask a woman her best friend, she'll never say her husband. She'll always say another woman's name. Uh, but it can, so our constipated men is where they emotionally are unable to identify and to express their own emotions. But coming back to the book now, Control Women and Constipated Men, see, this book will be on the shelves very shortly. Uh, they're already on E, uh, Amazon and so forth, so they're readily available. And it would be tremendous, Steve, if I would really love women to read this book and daughters to read this book and men to read this book. Not because it seems to be slanted in an antagonistic way towards women. It's not. It's simply making an observation of how our families are being destroyed, how people are becoming unfulfilled, children unfulfilled, low self-esteem. We're seeing now more than ever depression, anxiety, and the dreadful thing, suicide. It's increasing at an alarming rate. And we've got to do something about it. And one would really like to halt all this. One would really like to say, come on, we've got to work together to stop it from happening. And so it's really, the book, in a way, is about hope. It's of a, ho a hope that we can bring hearty enjoyment to our lives, that we can see laughter on our children's faces, that they'll stay there forever. That the two greatest things, I think, we bring for our children, and controlled mothers need to be able to be aware of this, is uh, to build, to allow their children to develop what I would call well-earned self-esteem. Not to be told, as so many cancer, women counselors tell their children, oh, you're clever, you're smart, you're important, blah, blah, blah. These, these children have got to earn their self-esteem from achievement in industry. And then I think... The next thing, which is terribly important, is to build happy memories. If we can build happy memories and live with ourselves in higher self-esteem 
we're going to have a tremendous life of self-fulfillment. And it will be a life that's well worth living. And in this book, I'm hoping that in some modest way, some humble way, I can get people to come together and start talking about this. We've been listening to Terence Christopher Teasdale. Dr. Teasdale is the author of his book, Controlled Women and Constipated Men, and also the sequel that will be coming out, Controlled Mothers and Damaged Daughters. Thank you so much, Doctor, for joining us on Ex Libris On Air. Uh, Thank you very much, Steve. Thanks for inviting me. I've enjoyed it very much. Join Steve Jorgensen next week at the same time as he explores the passion and the inspiration behind the works of today's authors. Right here on Ex Libris On Air.